You guys, welcome to the I Love Seville show. Good Tuesday afternoon to you. Thank you kindly for joining us. A pleasure to connect with you through this network, live on all social channels, archive wherever you get your social media, and of course on ilovesevil.com. If you missed the Jerry and Jerry show, a program that spotlights Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, who's got four decades plus of covering the Atlantic Coast Conference, that show will be up on wherever you get your podcast and on ilovesevil.com later today. It was our second iteration of the Jerry and Jerry show, and it was fabulous. We have some new partners that we're about to announce for the Jerry and Jerry show, which we're very, very, very excited about. Today's program is if you like business, if you like real estate, if you like zoning, and if you like movers and shakers in the Central Virginia community, this is the show for you. Um, passions of mine include the topics I just mentioned, small business owner three times over, one of those businesses, a brand to brand, uh, a brand management business where we hear the good, the bad and the ugly of 107 active clients on our roster as of this morning. It's the confessional running an advertising agency, the confessional of small and mid cap and large cap businesses. We hear it, um, and we maintain anonymity, and when clients say don't mention anything to other people about this, we protect their information as if it was our personal information and our personal finance information. We're a vault. But being the conventional of small and mid-cap businesses like we are, we get a lot of uh, lowdown that we pass along on this show when given the green light. And a lot of times you'll see developers and entrepreneurs and stakeholders and heavy hitters and elected officials on in this community say, Jerry, you got this following. I want you to put this information out there for us. Don't attribute it to us, but the community needs to know about it. And today's show embodies that mindset. Um, and you'll see in a matter of moments what I'm going to talk about. I, I want to talk a macro story briefly um, because I think this story is going to have some impacts in central Virginia. Um, regional banks are sliding today after um, after the Minneapolis Federal Reserve president favors getting tougher on regional banks. There was a crisis earlier this year that, that this particular president, Neil Kashari, um, said may not be over yet. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up to you and I'm tracking the, the Spider S&P regional banking ETF that was down two, three points in the middle of the day today, I'm tracking this because my concern is lending standards are going to further stiffen and the local lending environment um, in central Virginia may become more expensive, more arduous, or creep to a, a, a halt. And when the lending environment starts to creep to a halt in central Virginia, you start to see projects backburnered or put on ice. And that has an impact on, on, on the economy, on job creation, on, on new business creation. And often the folks that are leading the charges on these projects are, are very mindful of the lending environment. So I put that on your radar, we'll follow it closely. Some of these regional and local banks are in a little bit of a predicament right now. You're seeing that with some of the downgrades that are happening. So follow that closely and, and if, if you want even more tangible proof or data or a storyline, 
How about home builder sentiment dropping sharply in August? Interest rates are surging, and according to the National Association of Home Builders, and, and we represent a couple, the 7.25, 7.3 mortgage rates that are out there are, are spooking the market and slowing new construction. And you're starting to see home builders not only have to incentivize construction, but cut prices. That's another thing that is a headwind um, for this Central Virginia market. A lot I want to cover on today's show are friends at the Citizens for Responsible Planning, a lobbying group. Um, has some takeaways on the final draft of the zoning ordinance, which was released last night. I'll relay those takeaways to you. I also want to talk a building that I see four to five times a week on the downtown mall, 310, 312 East Main Street, which is on the downtown mall, the former home of Vita Nova Pizza, the location for the, what's the name of that business, the Seville Escape Room? Yeah, it's the escape room. I the escape room, where you go there and you have to do riddles and clues to get out of a room to solve a, a puzzle. You know, an, an experiential business that I talked about yesterday in the downtown mall. I think you're going to see some of these storefronts in downtown Charlottesville pivoting away from selling widgets on shelves. Decades Arcade, the, the Seville escape room, perfect examples of what I'm talking about right now. I also think as the labor crisis continues to gain momentum, and the labor crisis is one that is many layers to this onion, as affordability becomes a problem in Charlottesville and Almora County, and I would say it's safe to say that we're in an affordability crisis, right, Judah? I can, I can say that with confidence and conviction, don't you think? Oh, easily. Easily in a, a housing affordability crisis here. So folks that can't afford to, to live in Charlottesville and Almora, where a lot of the frontline jobs are, hospitality, music venues, food and beverage, breweries, wineries, retail. The folks that fill these jobs are getting pushed further and further away from Charlottesville and Albemarle. And as a result, the folks that own these companies have significant shortage of labor on their hands. So you're gonna start seeing these businesses pivot to a less labor intensive environment. And a lot of these omni-experiential business models Decades Arcade, the Seville Escape Room are good examples. Do not rely on a lot of labor um, and their models or their functionalities. I mean, you look at Decades Arcade, the, the, the business has got one employee you know, on, on the clock here. You look at the escape room, it's you check in, you pay, and you go into the room, and, 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 and really there's not a lot of hand-holding going on. It's the antithesis of what a restaurant is, and it's the antithesis of what hospitality is, and frankly, the antithesis of a lot of retail we're seeing around here. That's why we're seeing a lot of these businesses close. The downtown mall's got 11 vacant storefronts right now out of 190. We're talking about a six and a half, seven percent vacancy rate. That's one of the highest vacancy rates for downtown Charlottesville in my 23 years of being in this community. Right now, one of the highest vacancy rates, and frankly speaking, you have buildings that are currently on the market, literally multiple buildings on the downtown mall right now that are for sale at asking prices that are beyond reasonable, that literally are stale and stagnant and gaining no traction whatsoever. Deep Throat, I enjoyed conversating with you yesterday. It was truly, truly um, 
just refreshing conversation, dude. I sincerely mean that. Spent a couple hours talking to Anonymous um, at the end of the day yesterday and just talking shop. Dude knows what's up when it comes to zoning and real estate and business in this area. He sends um, a DM, Deep Throat does, and he says, Jerry, you're talking 310 and 312 East Main Street. That's the building that used to hold Vita Nova Pizza before Vita Nova Pizza moved to the old Impeccable Pig retail location. That's the building that holds the, uh, the, um, the Civil Escape Room. That's the building, Judah, that is next door to the former hardware store restaurant. Yeah. Literally right next door. The building that's sandwiched in between the Sivo Weekly offices and the hardware store. This building has an asking price of $2,750,000. We're talking 22,872 square feet. I'll send you, I'll DM you a link, Judah. Let me DM you a link right now. Check your Facebook inbox if you could, sir. And once you get that link, if you could put these photos on screen so the viewers and listeners can see what we're talking about. This is what Deep Throat says. 310, 312 East Main Street sold for $1.9 million in 2014. What the F? Only asking $2,750,000 now, Deep Throat. $2,750,000, a square foot. Are there dead bodies in the basement? Is it haunted by fake ghosts to drive down the price a la Scooby-Doo? Great questions. I will relay a conversation that I had with... um, Let me choose if I want to use their names here. All right. In this particular circumstance, I'm not going to use the names of the two men. One of them is my mentor. I've mentioned his name in the past. He owns... I don't know couple hundred million dollars in commercial and residential real estate in central Virginia. The other gentleman that was in the conversation, there were three of us, probably owns two, maybe three X, that couple hundred million dollars. Um, I would say he is, without tipping off who he is, an international business and real estate investor. I won't say who it is. You can use some context clues to figure it out. It's little old me talking with my mentor and talking with this international business real estate magnate uh, who does hotels all, all around the world. He's got Class A property all over Charlottesville and Central Virginia. We're talking about 310 and 312 East Main Street. At this point, I'm the young guy in the conversation with the small pockets, so I'm just listening to learn. My mentor brings me into the conversation and says, Jerry, we're talking 310 and 312 East Main Street. And he said, why don't you buy it? I get a little chuckle, and then I say both to these gentlemen, one of them that is maybe 2x my age. I said, well, gentlemen, you guys have the pockets, and you guys are the movers and shakers here, especially especially you, Mr. International Business and Real Estate Magnet. Why aren't you you purchasing this? Here's his response to me. And tell me when the photos are on screen, if you could, Um, because I would love to showcase the building to people. He said, Jer, calls me Jer, with an accent. He says, Jer. The building is vacant right now. The building is in large portion vacant right now. Why are we going to spend our money on this building when we would have to go hustle up tenants for the building? Why are we going to spend our money on the building when still Charlottesville City Hall and politics in this community make it difficult to do anything a la Chris Henry, Stony Point, Dairy Market, Phase 3. And then he says to me, which 
raise some red flags with yours truly because this is one of my businesses. What is the future of office in downtown Charlottesville? If it was converted to office, what would that even look like? So all very good questions. Give me a thumbs up when those pics are on screen if you could. There's only one. I'm trying, but... Uh, you got one? Is that the, the storefront? Yeah. The rest okay. of them are really small. The other ones are tiny? All right. You get the storefront on. That'll be a good starting point. Is that on screen? Not yet. Not okay. Sure. Judah's, Judah's going to show you the building here. So the asking price, $2,750,000. Here's some of the highlights. 120 bucks price per square foot, according to the ask. 22,872 square feet. It's a Class B building. It's four stories. You got 0.13 acres on the downtown mall. Doing stuff in downtown Charlottesville from a development standpoint can be difficult. So that's another issue here. I remember when we did the, it's on screen. Look at the screen now, viewers and listeners. When we remodeled our building, the Macklin Building, I'm the president of this association, owned the largest piece of this, um, of this building. This used to be a car dealership, Macklin Auto. If you look at the Macklin Building on Market Street, we're the only building on Market Street that has courtyards. All the other buildings come right up to the sidewalk on Market Street. The Macklin Building has two courtyards, one where the I Love Seville um, studio is located and one where the spectacle shop is located, John Bright's business. Those two courtyards were the auto, um, what's the phrase? Is it auto bays? When a car pulls into like a mechanic shop or a dealership and they pull into to have work done, is that an, that's an auto bay, right? Yeah. Where then the car gets lifted once it pulls in. The two courtyards, when Henry Macklin owned this building and was running Macklin Auto out of here, the two courtyards were where the cars were serviced. He was running a mechanic shop and a car dealership out of here. Like a, you see a lot of car dealerships have uh, a service department, right? Same concept. 1982, he converts the building to a, a mixed-use residential and commercial building, which is what it is now. But before he made that conversion and condo this building, he had auto bays here. So vehicles, automobiles would pull into these courtyards. They literally would get serviced where I'm sitting right now in the I Love Studio, I Love Seville Studio. They get put on a lift. The mechanics would service them. The showroom was the area in the middle of the two courtyards. The cars would pull out the back of the building. There's an alley that's in between the Macklin building where we're located and, and in between draft tap room and the nook and botanical and Lynn Goldman elements. Cars would pull in here and then when they were done, they'd pull out and down the alley, Macklin Auto. Okay, that's why we have the two courtyards here. A little piece of trivia for you. Um, I'm talking to the international magnet and my mentor, who has a couple hundred million dollars of real estate, and we're talking about 310, 312 East Main Street. Colliers has had this listing for an extended period of time. There was a point in Charlottesville's history, and it was literally in 2019 before COVID. COVID, we're still dealing with the collateral damage of the pandemic. In 2019, buildings on, on the downtown mall 
in around the downtown mall, and frankly speaking, in much of the city of Charlottesville, would not trade on LoopNet or on the commercial MLS, CVC MLS. They would not trade by listing them on the internet. These buildings legitimately would trade off-market by the owner of the building calling two or three of his buddies, very old boys club, and calling two or three of his buddies and saying, I'm looking to exit. That's how I bought the I Love Seville storefront. That's how I bought the lion's share of my position in the Macklin building, was people I knew who reached out to me and said, you're a young kid in his 20s and then early 30s looking to scoop up real estate in downtown Charlottesville. I will do a seller finance deal. I bought two units on the second floor from Larry Howard, who's a realtor, in a seller financed arrangement. I put, what did I put, 25 grand down about a decade ago. Yeah, in 2014, I put 25 grand down. It gave me an interest rate at the time of four points. God, that's cheap money. And a term of a decade. 12 years. It was a 12-year term. I'm actually coming up on the term, and I'm going to pay it off before the 12-year marker um, for the two units, the first two units I bought on the second floor. Then I bought one, two, three, four, five condo units on the second floor from Dr. John Foltz. John Foltz often writes editorials for the Daily Progress opposing um, upzoning and rezoning, Dr. John Foltz does. He lives in the rugby area, Deep Throat. That would be a good connection for you. We did a seller finance term for 10 years, 120 payments, 4.5% interest rate, 15% down. This studio, the I Love Seville studio, I purchased from Joe Geek, the former UVA trainer, with UVA Athletics. He lives on a farm in the city of Charlottesville and also has a second home in Montana. That's another guy for you to know there, Deep Throat. We did a seller five term on this one on a 12-year term. And then I bought another unit from Dr. Trice Taylor, a dentist. He was retiring. Tim Carson reached out to me, the vice president of Real Estate 3, and said, Jerry, you want to do this deal? You like to do seller finance deals. Dr. Taylor will carry the paper. You give him 10, 15% down. He'll give you a 10-year term and an interest rate at market. So literally these deals, he is a super nice guy, Professor John Foltz is. You're 100% right, Anonymous. These deals were done before the pandemic with yours truly in off-market fashion, where it was an old boys club of someone calling often the building, the unit owner or a representative of the, uh, of the owner saying, hey, are you interested in buying? And I repped, I represented myself in all these transactions, which was even more advantageous for the seller because the seller was saving three points in, in, in real estate commission with, with me not having buyer representation. I did, uh, I've done 13 deals without representation over the last 23 years here in Charlottesville. The reason I'm bringing this information to you, or passing it along to you, 
is the network before COVID for commercial real estate in particular in the Charlottesville, hell, even Albemarle County. Before COVID, Charlottesville and Albemarle <coughs> County, these deals with, with Corin Capshaw, with, with Ali Kutner, with Ludwig Kutner, with Bill Nitschman, with Alan Kajin, with, with, with Joe Geek, with, with the Charlie Lewis family. These deals were transactions that never got listed in an actual MLS. They were trading with conversation over cigars and beers and bourbons with dudes, literally, old boys club. Since the pandemic, since COVID hit, since office got a little bit of exposure, since lending environment got way more expensive, I mean, if you're trying to get a loan from a bank on a commercial project, I'm working and I'm not, I'm not passing along too much information here. And this is common knowledge, so this is not me speaking out of turn in any capacity. But if you want to get a loan from a local bank to do some kind of development right now, common knowledge, just do a little bit of research. You're looking at an interest rate about 10 points. 10 percentage points, the interest rate. And find a bank, you know, there are banks out there that will finance deals. There are banks out there. Virginia National Bank will finance your deal. But the lending environment's gotten difficult. And 10 points ain't cheap money. And, and, and the regional banks, that's why I led the program with this, Judah. This will be something that I ask Alex Erpy about this. In fact, the finance guys that are watching this program, I'm curious of your take on this here. We're seeing home builder sediment drop to 50. This month, a drop of six points, according to the National Association of Home Builders. We're seeing multiple, multiple members of the Fed saying that regional banks have a exposure and we should regulate these banks even more so we don't have a crisis on our hands. We're seeing Fitch warning that downgrades are coming across a dozen banks, including J.P. Morgan Chase. So there's tremendous headwinds for regional and local banks on the horizon. So what does that mean? What, what do these headwinds mean? Okay, I'll talk about it in very simplistic terms. Development's expensive. Because development's expensive, people are considering whether to do it or not. Buildings are sitting stagnant. A building like this one, put the picture back on screen if you could please, sir. Thank you kindly. A building like 310, 312 East Main Street, this MFR would have sold off market without even being listed on LoopNet. Now it's got a DOM that's getting long in the tooth. It's got a sign a for sale sign on its storefront that's getting faded by the, the summer Commonwealth hot sun. Literally, the call your sign is being faded. You got tenants that are vacating the building, so now it's sitting empty. The carrying cost is becoming burdensome for the owners. A 23,000 roughly square foot building at an asking price of $2,750,000, only $120 a square foot, Never would have lasted that long in downtown Charlottesville. Never. I want you to literally walk from the Omni Hotel unto, to the Ting Pavilion and look at the vacancies and the buildings that are listed for sale. We'll highlight this even more tomorrow with a different location. 
John Player, I'll get to your comment here in a matter of moments. JB and James Watson, I'm going to highlight your perspective when it comes to the church that's currently on the market. The uh, former Music Resource Center. I thought you and James Watson were all over, all over this, completely on point with why this building's still for sale. The stakeholders and the heavy hitters with the deep pockets, and I've rattled off a few, and they listen to the show. Mr. Kajin, you listen to the program. Kootners, we talk about the show when I see you. Mr. Nichman, I try to run into you as much as possible. I know you listen to the show. The Charlie Lewis family, we know you guys listen to the show. Coach Geek, Mr. Geek, we respect you. We're grateful for you listening to the show. These 50, 100, 200, 250, 500, 600 millionaires that are listening to this talk show, they all have a lot of things in common besides extremely deep pockets. They're not getting any younger. And their affinity and appetite for risk and taking on new projects when the headwinds are expensive debt service, when the headwinds are some exposure for office moving forward, when the headwinds are the political climate that is Charlottesville City Hall, when the headwinds are maybe safety, panhandling, and homelessness on the downtown mall, these deep-pocketed individuals don't have the same affinity for risk as they did before COVID or maybe a decade ago when they were 10 years younger. So that leaves opportunity for the, the next generation of stakeholders, portfolio, uh, keepers and holders, real estate, commercial, um, heavy hitters. Core Real Estate, Baldwin at Core. Look at what he's doing. He did the Water Street condo complex across from C&O Restaurant, a beautiful building. He's a guy to keep an eye on. This name came up yesterday over drinks, Martin Klingel. A guy who, who has a REIT, who has skin in the game still in Charlottesville, despite living in California. A younger guy to keep an eye on. I think what Alan Taylor and Corin are doing at Riverbend should be applauded. Corin and Alan, behind the scenes, very low-key, very DL, are moving and shaking and making some serious acquisition and some serious development projects here. I think... Friend of the program, Johnny Pritzloff, is, is a guy to watch out for. A commercial broker that has connections, that is making bank, that is now just not doing commercial deals for clients, but commercial deals for himself. You're seeing the next era or the next iteration of stakeholders coming to market and taking advantage of opportunity because the older era the OG is saying no because their appetite for risk is not there, much of that due to age. Okay? And as the lending environment becomes more expensive, folks like that younger generation are just going to use the connections they have with deep pocketed folks to finance their deals in seller finance capacities like I outlined at the start of the show. 
The seller finance mechanism is how many of these buildings trade. And 310, 312 East Main Street, it looks like an opportunity for someone to come in and lowball. Maybe you chop, we were talking about this last night, 20% off the ask and see how they respond. You come in at a 2-4. You come in at a 2 Hell, I would come in at a 2-2-5-0. and see if you could get a counteroffer. And if you get a counteroffer, you got folks that are willing to play ball. But I'm telling you right now, the debt service and the carrying cost of this building that's sitting vacant right now is not cheap. It is not cheap at all. Comments are coming in fast and furious right now. This is from John Blair on LinkedIn. Jerry, I'm curious about your thoughts on the following. Do prospective property owners really want an elevator in such a short building? In my experience, elevators can be an absolute pain and expensive. Did you believe that could be a problem in moving the property? I always love your thoughts on real estate. John, I can't believe you're bringing this up. Literally, the Macklin building, the building that I'm the president of that has an elevator in it, it's a three-story elevator. Judah, can we go to the two-shot? Tell me when we're on a two-shot. What's going on with the elevator in the Macklin building right now? Well, it seems to be out of order. It's out of order. His comment is, are you Nostradamus, John Blair? Legitimately. The elevator in the Macklin building, a three-story building, is out of order right now. Do you know what the cost is to replace an elevator? I've gotten a cost, a number, from our property manager, the fabulous Ryan Miller, to replace that elevator. You know what the cost is? Of course I don't. But do you want me to guess? Guess. Uh, 80000 How much? 80000 Higher. One more guess. Uh, 150000 135000 Damn. $135,000. Damn. You know what we're doing right now? Getting people to start using stairs. Well, yeah, because it's out of order. But we're uh, keeping the coffers, the, co the coffers deep for a replacement. Yeah. A buck thirty-five. Outside of the roof, which is under thirty-year warranty, we're uh, seven or eight years into this flat roof replacement on the thirty-year warranty. That's the number one piece of expense that we have in this building. Yeah. Legitimately, John Blair, hell of a question right there. Um, NBC twenty-nine, welcome to the program. Thank you for watching. James Watson and John Blair, speaking of John, had a fantastic inter interaction on Facebook about the music resource uh, building. Let me see if I can send that to you, um, Judah. And I appreciate you adapting on the fly. What I'll do is I'll Facebook message you the link so people can see the one I'm talking about. Let me see if I can. Oh, I found it. Pritzloff and Stoner have this listing. Pritzloff and Stoner do, somebody tell Johnny Pritzloff and Jenny Stoner I'm giving them props. They do a damn good job. I just sent you, I just Facebook DM'd you the uh, LoopNet link for 105 Rich Street. If you can get some of those photos on screen and give me the thumbs up when they're on screen, that would mean the absolute world to me. So I asked the question, here's another building in downtown Charlottesville that is not sold yet. And it's got an asking price, 105 Ridge Street, of a million eight hundred seventy-five thousand, it's eight thousand six hundred six square feet. Before COVID, this building sells all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Before COVID, three hundred ten and three hundred twelve East Main Street sells all day, every day, and twice twice on Sunday. This building ain't moving. Blair and Watson have a fantastic common interaction. Blair says this first. James initiates it. I wonder if parking is an issue for the music resource property. 
John Blair says, I have the same thought. Looking at city code section 34-984, an assembly use requires one space provided for each of six seats. I know that a church is currently using the space, but I believe they only use it for a couple of hours each Sunday, Sunday, and that is when the lighting supply store next door is closed. I'm assuming they have a shared parking agreement there. Restaurants require one space per 250 square feet of eating. My guess is that the property will be a hard spot to sell unless it can be combined with the bus station property next door. If such an assemblage could be ex executed, you have a great corner property, John Blair. James responds to that. James is a smart dude. He says, agreed. It's a great building along with the Greyhound portion. Lots of history there. However, despite hundreds of vehicles passing every day, I would bet you 10,000 plus vehicles pass that church every day. James says, despite hundreds of vehicles passing every day, I think it's kind of a hard sell for anyone who would want to open anything there that would need to accommodate continual parking. I'm not sure anybody would spend the money either to build some type of concrete parking structure on the side, rear of the site. It's kind of an awkward site, yet it has great buildings and a lot of exposure for traffic and pedestrian. I agree with everything those gentlemen just said. I thought it was extremely intelligent um, chatter on the network from two guys that I have a lot of respect for. And when they comment, I read their comments live on air. Here's what I would do. And let us know when those photos are on screen, J-Dubs, if you could. I would do a joint venture with the hotel across the street from the Music Resource Church. I believe that hotel, let me see if I can get Google Maps open. Is that a Hampton Inn? Is it a Hampton Inn? We got uh, Alex Erby here about to be on set in the green room here. Um, let me type it in here. Music Resource Center, Ridge Street. And let me see if I can go Street View. I think it's a Hampton Inn. It's a residence inn? Yeah, it's a Fantastic. Residence in by Marriott. Good stuff right there from Alex Erpe. I would do a joint venture with the residence in by Marriott and say, residence in by Marriott, you don't have what the Omni has. And what the Omni has is a banquet facility for three or 400 people for weddings and private events. Music Resource Center buildings on screen. Look at the screen, everyone. Look at the screen. Mayor just walked by. We love you, Mayor Snook. What, what? Big ups to Mayor Snook walking by right there. I would do a partnership with the residents in by Marriott. And I would say, let's do a JV. We can sell packages for Friday, Saturday, and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday weddings here. Have the guests park at the hotel, incentivize them to rent rooms at the hotel, and then walk across the street for the event, whether it's a wedding, a rehearsal dinner, some kind of get together, whatever you want to call it use the parking with the residence in by Marriott, have the event at their old music resource center, charge a, a price point that is market, and then both entities win, the residence in by Marriott, and whoever buys this $1,875,000 listed building, 8,600 square feet, 105 Bridge Street. That's what I would do. It solves the parking problem. You can park in our hotel parking lot rent the rooms from us, use our bar, walk across the street to the church, hold your events there, and the after party can be anywhere on the downtown mall or anywhere on Midtown. That would not be a difficult partnership to explain to people. 
Viewers and listeners, what do you think here? Um, comments coming in fast and furious. Alex Serpy, if we'll get you on set, the lending environment is something I want to talk about with you. This is coming from uh, Deep Throat. The fear about the regional banks are the following. They are upside down on rates. What they need to pay on deposits has jumped and they are sitting on assets they originated at lower rates. CRE exposure. Outside the top 25 banks, something like 30% of the asset side of the balance sheet is CRE exposure. And people are rightly worried about whether a lot of commercial buildings are stranded assets. From BBRG, the dollar volume of new commercial property loans by investor-driven lenders, such as private equity and debt funds, tumbled 60% in the second quarter from a year earlier. The Mortgage Bankers Association reported Tuesday, bank origination slid 69% according to the data, which includes multifamily financing, which Deep Throat says is your point that you're making now, Jerry. I'm going to put this in simple, simple terms, and then let's weave Alex Serpy in on a three-shot. Dylan's Rule, thank you for the retweet. I got the Richmond Times-Dispatch watching us as well. James Watson, I'll get to your comments. Same with you, Bill McChesney. Kevin Yancey, I'll get to your comments as well. Put them in the feed. Put them in the feed. Put them in the feed. Here's what Deep Throat is saying in very simplistic terms. Loans that were originated with banks before the pandemic were done in a very different ecosystem. And those loans were done at interest rate structures and, on, and at terms that would never be offered today. And they're done on buildings that are way more vacant today than when those loans and those financing mechanisms were initiated or originated before the pandemic. So you take a building and the building was purchased by the next generation of stakeholders of property in Charlottesville and Almore. And either a guy or a gal or a group of guys and gals goes into a bank and they get a loan. And this loan is at, call it a five clip, a 6% clip, something like that. And it's got a refinancing every three, every two, every three, every five years, we're going to refinance it to get it to market standards. A lot of those refinancings are happening now. And the people that own these buildings are going from what was a 100% occupied building to a building that might be 70% occupied. And they're going to the bank because the bank forces them to refinance and get things to market. And they're going to the bank with a 5% interest rate and the bank's gonna say, now it's 10. Yeah. And the bank is gonna say, the lending environment's completely different. Oh, by the way, the appraised value on your building has dropped 15% and your rent rolls on your building are down 25%. And now you're gonna to have to come up with 2X the monthly payment. And what are you gonna do? That's what's literally happening right now, and I'm not trying to glo oh, gloom and doom anyone. Judah Wickhauer, are we three-shotting? Uh, there's a two-shot for you. Let's see, Alex Serpy's on screen. You're looking tan, you're uh, looking dapper. Thank you. My friend, anywhere you wanna go on this topic. No, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's a challenging environment, and we had talked about this earlier this year, that even though those three regional banks at the beginning of the year had their own issues when they went under, this is not a, an, an environment that is conducive to banked lending. Banks make money when they can borrow at lower rates and lend at higher ones. When the yield curve is inverted as it is now, that means basically long-term interest rates ironically are lower than short-term interest rates. It makes it a very difficult environment for banks to make money, which means they now need to be more cautious, which means they are going to be more careful when they lend. And when, like you said, when they refinance, they're not going to take a loss. Because when they have to go and, if they have to go and borrow or look at their reserves, they're 
they're not going to take a loss to maintain your old 5% interest rate. They're going to hit you with the interest rate that is that covers what their borrowing costs are plus the risk premium that you are as an individual or as a, or as a corporation with this building, with whatever rent situation you're looking at. Alex Serpe is the CEO of Emergent Financial Services. Come in and comments are coming in fast and furious. James Watson says, 120 per square foot seems like a good deal. You cannot build new commercial property for that amount. Not that I have anything close to that. He's talking about 310, 312 East Main Street. $2,750,000 building. He's 100% right. If you were going to build this brand new, that would be 3x the price. It would be pretty darn close to $10 million once you did land acquisition. You figure commercial development, call it 300 a foot, 22,872, and this is without the land acquisition. 22,872 times 300 is $6,861,600 without the land acquisition. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a building here, if you were to do this from scratch, would be flirting with 10 million. It's listed at 275, and they cannot move the building. It's, it's, it's speaking to where I think commercial real estate is. Go. It's, Let's go down that road. The issue is as much as we are seeing um, some companies tell their people to get, you know, you can no longer work from home, that's, that doesn't change the fact that we are not in an environment where there is a lot of commercial real estate going on. You just you're we're not in an environment where you're going to start new storefronts. We're not in an environment that that's conducive to saying, "Well, I'm going to do a brand new brick and mortar and test myself out there." You're going to test yourself in any way you can before settling into a brick and mortar, particularly where rents need to be, given where the market is. And I see this all the time. You see new new startups and so forth. They're like, "I'm going to hold off on the brick and mortar on renting space or leasing space." Until, until I know with absolute certainty that I have a customer base that can support that. So, there is, so that's, that's your ground floor, right? And even if you talk about office space, I think even with some people coming home, and if you look carefully at a lot of the companies that are telling their workers to come back into the office, it's not five days a week. It's, yeah, it's saying, yeah, you were working from home Monday through Friday. I need you to come in two days a week. That still leaves three days a week where they're not coming in. And if you stagger that as a company, you're, not, you're using what? Maybe one-third the office space that you would have been using pre-pandemic? So even with the hybrid model of asking people to come back in the office, we're nowhere near the office space usage that was happening before. And that's before you even account for the retail that kind of makes the bulk of... I mean, even you look at Charlottesville, right? What makes the bulk of the first floor? You got offices on second story, third story, fourth story. First Business, story, retail. it's retail businesses. Yeah. And they're, they're, I don't think there is enough demand by current or new retail businesses to lease space right now. Because they are looking and saying, I need to be very certain that I can sell and that I can afford that lease payment before I lock myself in to that space. And I think that's, that's a huge number because you, you need that on that first floor story even before you get into whether you're selling the office spaces on the higher floors. A perfect example of this, Judah, Alex, and viewers and listeners, is the CFA Institute selling its building on mm-hmm. High Street. It sold its building on High Street about a month ago for $21,900,000. $21,900,000 
from an LLC, an LLC called Low High LLC purchased the building from CFA. CFA, the people that work for CFA were not going into the office to the point where when the Daily Progress that watches this show every day heard me break the news of this LLC buying this building for $21,900,000, I'm watching the Progress stream our show, then the story comes out the next day. The reporter went over to the building on High Street where CFA was located. Mm -hmm. And literally in the story the reporter wrote, you could see that there was dust all over the computer screens mm -hmm. and people had not yeah. been in the building in months. That yeah. the only person in the building at the time said, usually there is one or two people tops in here. And it was a building that is 100,000 plus square feet to the point where CFA is leasing back 47,000 square feet after selling to Low High LLC. So this is basically what happened. Low High LLC, a play on Locust and High Street, right? Yep. This is what basically happened. This deep-pocketed LLC, a heavy hitter, I've been sworn to secrecy, sees a deal, an opportunity, says, good God, you got nearly $50 million in renovations. It was a hospital. Yeah, it used to be. Yeah. It used to be Martha Jefferson Hospital. Yep. They converted it to an office building. I'm going to get a 40% haircut or discount on this, on the purchase. Let me buy it, and let's figure out what it's going to be as the market dictates what it should be, yeah. and we'll just do a, adapt to market trends. Here's the question I have for you. Warren Buffett said, be scared when people are greedy and be greedy when people are scared. Is this a time to be, be greedy when people are scared when it comes to commercial? It, oh, that's a tricky one because that, that applies. That you meant that with stocks and equities. Yeah, the issue is that Warren Buffett quote applies when you're looking at things which are cyclical and, and capable of reverting to the mean. That's the classic reversion to the mean. What he's saying is when things are at the bottom, if you truly believe that they will come back to average over time, then you know they're not going to stay at the bottom. They're not going to go all the way down to zero. The issue is if you have come to the conclusion that we are at an actual inflection point whereby there is no going back to the type of work that we used to do in offices, then you don't... In other words, that, that's not necessarily a justification just because people are afraid to be greedy and go in. Because if, if something has indeed changed permanently, then that changes the paradigm. The, the, that, that quote only works if you think that what, what you're seeing is a temporary change, but not a permanent one, that the cycle will just go back. Now, maybe you could argue, was COVID time an overreaction in other words is zero percent of people in the office an actual representation of the future i would argue probably not i think we're a lot of companies are saying that idea of everyone working from home is not the new paradigm but i think you could make the argument that a hundred percent occupancy is also the in other words that the old paradigm is gone that we probably are looking at something in between and then you have to sit there and say what else could you do with, let's face it, if you look at the haircut on that building, right, and sort of the advantage of buying it, you said, you know, 50, you, you used the phrase 50% haircut, right? That's basically the percent of the building that was vacant, that CFA is leasing back. In yeah. other words, what ha the only reason it's the 50% haircut is because you had someone in there that said, I'm, I'm now at maybe 50% capacity in the future, 
right? Because obviously it's not 50% capacity now, but that's CFA saying the most I would need out of this building is half of it. So you need to sit there and say, well, what do we do with the other half, right? So the, I think that's where you need to look, because if you actually have a changing paradigm, you, and you may look at, a, at a, an opportunity and say, okay, it's no longer going to be used 100% by commercial real estate. Let's say offices and retail uses 50% now. What do you do with the other 50? Yeah. You need something. You need to do something with that or else you now you're stuck with the new paradigm and don't know where to go with this. I, I love Alex Serpe, CEO of Emergent Financial Services, a name you can trust, Emergent Financial Services. We're going to continue the finance talk here with Alex Serpe, devil's advocate for the sake of the talk show. Yeah. A lot of the viewers that, that watch the show know that I'm in the executive office game. We do 24 executive offices for rent at price points that range from you know, 700 to 1200 a month. Mm-hmm. Joffrey Woodruff at the Code Building has got executive desks and executive offices for rent at a higher price point than that. Mm-hmm. I love when new executive office space comes to the market because it's often coming at price points that are higher than mine, <laughs> which is just driving the price points across the entire stratosphere. Yeah. So this is what I found with the executive office space game that I've been in for a decade plus. Massage therapists, mm-hmm. chiropractors, mm-hmm. Um, psychologists and therapists. It's things you need to come in for. Photographers, headshot photographers, Melody mm-hmm. Robbins. Um, folks that do stretching, mm-hmm. stretch lab. Folks that don't want clients visiting them at their house for yeah. safety concern. Mm-hmm. Divorce attorneys needing privacy, not wanting to be seen in public talking to people because the nature of divorce attorney. Yeah. Dentists. How does a dentist be done over AI? It can't. How does a chiropractor done via AI? Massage therapist mm-hmm. being done via AI. How does a guy that shoots corporate training videos do this with artificial intelligence or wearing goggles? But, and the big difference, though, is each one of those is going to buy one office a small, a smaller space, maybe two or three offices. They're not coming in like some of the older corporations and saying, yep, I'll take 50 offices. Take a whole floor. I'll take the whole floor. None of them are going to take the whole floor. I mean, they might grow. Maybe chiropractor grows that you get a whole floor. But to start with, they're going to be one office, maybe two to begin with. So it's, it's a completely different paradigm. There, there are still those types of businesses that you need people to come in, but they're no longer, they're not anywhere near the scale of, 50 cubicles in a floor. What is, uh, what is your take on, on these regional banks getting downgraded? What is your take on the impact over the last few days that Fitch Ratings has had? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your take on the, another key Fed member saying, yeah, we have to these banks are in trouble? Mm-hmm. What's your take on this? I think it's, it's the caution of, of looking at the entire regional banking sector and saying, look, we understand that Signature, SVB, they were doing some, they had some crypto stuff, they had some fishy stuff going on, right? And that led in many ways to their collapse. But that does not mean that the environment we are in is a healthy one for banks. In other words, two things can be true that the banking sector on the regional, on the smaller side, is not in a healthy place. I mean, it may even be on the bigger side. I know the, the Fed director had even intimated the possibility of um, uh, J.P. Morgan. He mentioned J.P. Morgan. He mentioned J.P. Yeah. Morgan as a pot. So it's looking and saying the banking sector can be... And that's be, the gold standard. 
Yeah, I mean, those are, those are your big banks that normally when you look at which banks should I be worried about from an investment standpoint, you're like, well, let me just check on the regional banks and I'm not going to bother checking the S&P 500 because they're all big ones. But what, what they're basically saying is that these two things can be true, that the bank failures earlier this year were specific to those banks and that the banking sector is not in a healthy place given where interest rates are, which is not a shocker. I mean, when you raise interest rates as much as the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates, and when you look at the inflation numbers and say that they're not done yet, that is not a healthy scenario for banks. And I think we're beginning to see that reflected and saying, and sometimes it's not even a matter that what people need to get about banks sometimes, it's not a question of is your balance sheet in a bad place, if that makes sense. In other words, a bank can be perfectly healthy in terms of having a lot of reserves, having a lot of smaller depositors, having 70% insured depositors versus 30% uninsured, beyond having sweeps. A bank can have all those things in line and get if things go south, that can change on a dime. I mean, SVB lost all Silicon Valley Bank basically got wiped out in a matter of hours. Before that, the previous fastest time that a bank's balance sheet had collapsed was like the 17 days it took um, Washington Mutual way back in 08. So you're talking 17 days was the previous record for how fast a bank could just have be wiped out, and it happened in a matter of hours. So we're in, a, we're in a new landscape in terms of that. And I think this is the rating agency saying, look, it's, this is just not a healthy environment. It doesn't mean it needs to be a panic-inducing one, because as I always tell people, unless you're sitting there with more than $250,000 per depositor in your bank accounts and you're not participating in any kind of sweep program, then there's nothing for you to worry about. Like you're, The clients at SVB had millions parked in individual bank accounts that were not being swept to other banks, right? In other words, you're not, that risk is not being sent around to numerous banks to keep the risk hedged. Hedged, exactly. Yeah. It's just a, millions sitting there in one bank account. That's kind of on them. Yeah, it's, it's idiotic. It's, it's very foolish, right? The average person doesn't have that scenario. But that doesn't mean that the banks that the banking sector is in a healthy place because this is just not an interest rate environment that is good for them. So I want to take it, we'll take it a step further here. That's what we try to do with the long form mm -hmm. content. We have an opportunity to extrapolate the what ifs and what could happen mm -hmm. um, because we don't have to go to commercial break. It's not a sound bite. I think, I don't want to speak for you. I think the lending environment is going to get even more strict. You with me on that? Even more stringent, more difficult to get I financing? I would imagine. Okay. Let's I think the, so, so, we know the lending environment's gonna get more strict, more difficult to get money from banks. I think if you can get money from banks, that money's gonna be more expensive than it's been in a oh, ever. Let's face it, everything is based I wouldn't say ever. My dad would say okay, he so lived through the, 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 years, the 70s and 19 the early percent 90, interest rates. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, okay. But certainly more so than we've ever seen in the last 20 years. Okay. Because let's face it, everything, what you have to understand is that every single interest rate that you could borrow at is ultimately based on prime. It's ultimately based on what is the Federal Reserve putting, you doing with their interest rates. So that's the risk-free rate. And then everything else is risk on top of that. So if you imagine, we now have a risk-free rate that's higher, right, that's crawling into the, the fives and sixes. So now you add risk on top of that because the bank needs to charge more to compensate for risk. 
And the more nervous they become, the more that risk premium. So you can have a, a scenario where not only is the base rate higher, because the Federal Reserve is raising rates, but the spread, which means the difference, basically the spread is kind of the premium interest rate that a bank will put on you because you're riskier than the Federal Reserve. For sure. Right? That can widen because the bank's That well, delta is widening. That, and it is widening. Yeah, literally right it's, now it's widening. It's widening. I'm seeing that with clients. Exactly. Because the, the more concerning the environment gets, the more the bank says, well, to compensate me for the increased risk that I'm taking, I need to charge more on that interest rate above the Federal Reserve's base rate. Because the base rate is just the time value of money. The base rate is literally just saying $100 today is worth more, is worth this much more than $100 five years from now. That's all that one means. The rest of the interest rate is risk. And the riskier the environment gets, the higher that, that spread climbs. He's dropping knowledge here. So we, viewers and listeners, I'm going to get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Vanessa Parkhill, Queen of Rollysville, get to your comment. Jason Howard, the King of Rio Road, I'll get to your comment. Logan Wells Clalo, thank you for the uh, hotel information. We appreciate you. Deep Throat, I'm going to get to your comments here. This is right up his alley. He's chopping at the bit here with this information. <laughs> this is literally how this guy makes some of his money here. Um, we know the lending environment's going to get tighter. We know that if you do get... Um, a loan that it's going to be more expensive than a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. Okay. We know that the inventory levels that are out there are as slim as they've been in a really long time. So let's talk about the cause and effect of this. Money's tough to get. Money's expensive to get. There's few residential things to purchase. Safe to say values are going to uptick big time. Well, it's, it's the only – the issue is – Only outcome, right? It's the only outcome is you have supply and demand. So basically, I mean, everything works on supply and demand. And you see there on – especially what I think what we're seeing is twofold. One, yes, has demand for homes decreased because of the higher interest rates, because of the higher mortgage rates, right? Some, yeah, but it's still somewhat. not at zero. There's still it's, demand. Exactly. Well, especially just think about it. If you just, if you just got hired by UVA, you your, demand, your demand is one. It doesn't – it, it's 100%. It doesn't vacillate like maybe I'll just turn down this job offer because I don't want to pay the interest rate. Like you calculated that when accepting the job. So your demand remains the same. But as much as demand goes down, I think what we're seeing too, and I've, I've, I've read some articles of this effect nationwide, and I think it's absolutely going to be the case in Charlottesville as well. If you've got people who purchased in 2019, 2020, early 2021, at two and three quarters... You're looking 3%. at them. You're looking at them. They may sit there and say, yes, could I get, you know, has my house appreciated 10, 20% in value? Yes. 85% over here. But does that equate to me wanting to sell and then have to go buy at a new place at 7%? There it is. 8% mortgage rate? There it is. So the issue is you could be sitting on a beautiful gain and say, yeah, but I have to buy another house and live somewhere else there when it is. I sell. And so your, your, your sale, the, the, the quantity of supply is still somewhat restricted, despite the fact that you have a increased prices because people are saying, but I have to find somewhere else to live when I sell this I think I we can walk, house. and, and, and I, I say this for the sake of conversation yeah. here, I think we can legitimately walk after selling our house and paying the remaining balance. Remember, we did a 15-year on, on the house. Mm -hmm. I think we can legitimately walk with $830,000. $830,000. I pay off what's left, and then yeah, I sell my that. house. I have eight hundred thirty thousand dollars left, legitimately. Yeah. But 
Now, here's the question. But you run the numbers, though. I've run say, the numbers many times. But what I'm saying, when you run the numbers Because we want to upgrade on what we're currently at. Yeah. And the upgrade on what we're currently at, because, you know, we're, my wife is in her 30s. I got a five-year-old and an eight-month-old. You know, this is not like we're downsizing. We're boomers here. Yeah. We still are in this – we're freaking Americans. Everyone yeah. wants something that's shinier yeah. and prettier and bigger and sexier. It may not always be the smart move to do – you take that chunk of money, A, what is there to buy, B, whatever you're looking at buying, if you want an upgrade, is going to be in the neighborhood of two, two and a half, or three, mm -hmm. and then at the 7% rate, if you're putting 20% down, your monthly payment's going to be three or four yep. X than what it is. Yep. And that's the issue. It's, oftentimes, it's not an appreciation asset problem. It's a cash flow problem. It's saying, yes, I can collect this nice capital gain. But can I afford the change in cash flow on a monthly basis? And go. do I want to do that? Do I want to do, do it? I do want I want to, the stress? Yeah, exactly. Or do I risk, do I hold on and risk that my capital gain changes in exchange for, for collecting right now the there difference? Because, yes, the capital gain may go from, you know, 85% gain to 70% gain. But if interest rates go in two years from... Seven to five. It you might be more advantageous. Exactly. Yeah. And so you sit there and there say it it's is a right cash there. flow problem. Dude, and that's literally what we're talking about on our dinner table right now. You're giving me some financial advice as if I was a <laughs> client here. What would you say? What would I say to do? Oh, that's, you'd have to know the, the whole picture and say, can I afford Why the higher it? cash flow? And what's the, uh, what's the risk there? Because a 2.75 on a 700 purchase with a 15-year term when 20% was put down, that left a 15-year start of 70% times 20, 20 700,000 times 20% is $1.40. So that means a starting point of 560, 560 over 15 on 2.75 with overpayments doesn't leave a whole lot left no. when something that's at a million two to a million three sales price. Yeah. And the question is, and, and, and dude, I'm telling you, this is exactly what I was talking about with the commercial. We bought in March of 2020 when people were scared shitless, like mm. literally terrifying. Mm. And I was like, I said to my wife, I said, we are going to be greedy when everyone else yeah. is terrified. I literally said that to her. She goes, what are you talking about? We have to go look at these houses with hazmat suits on. We're not going to go look at these homes. We might get this virus. And she literally said, and, and I love her dearly. She was thinking about our only kid at the time. We only had our oldest at the time. She said, I, can we breathe in the air at these houses? Should we really be doing this? Yeah, I mean, this? no one knew what was no going one knew. on at the No time. one knew. So we, we sucked it up. We were greedy when, when other people were scared. Is that the same situation with these commercial buildings that are for sale? That's, that's the million-dollar question right there. We're, this low-high LLC, this heavy hitter that's buying things. Obviously, they're believing it's cyclical. In other words, they're saying there is a, a use. percent discount. Yeah. No, what they're saying is there is also a use for this space that maybe either they can He's proceed or that they – Oh, executive office. That's what he's going to convert it. Outside so, of the 47,000 square feet leased back to CFA, the rest of the building he's converted office. to executive office. So they're basically saying, here is where we think the new paradigm is, and we think there is sufficient demand there. And the question is whether or not that's the case. Vanessa Parkhill says, it should have been on SVB depositors, but wasn't there a federal bailout for these folks? Jason Howard on Raya Road says, the news out of San Francisco lately, companies just giving multi-million dollar commercial buildings back to the lender. Has this happened in the past and in these numbers? Literally, a hotel chain just went to their lender and said, here's the hotel, here are the keys to the hotel. We don't even want this building wow. anymore. 
like the San Francisco political climate is too much. Let's go to Deep Throat DM on Twitter. Had a great um, conversation and, and meet and greet with Deep Throat yesterday at the mill room. He says, people learn how to run, people learn how to run on a bank. Argentinians are masters at this. In 2001, I went to a meeting at a mid-sized Argentinian bank just after lunch. Everything was normal. I rode down the elevator two hours later, and there was a mob outside. The bank failed the next day. After SVB, and with the ability to run with your keyboard, runs can go very fast even in the United Mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. Banco, BCN, could remember the name there for a second. That was the bank. In Argentina, Argenti- yep. does a lot of business with the Argentinian government. This man does. Yeah, I mean that's a famous. Oh, one is a famous collapse in Argentina, and he's absolutely right. Because let, let's face it, no, the nature of banking means there is no such thing. Let's put it this way: a bank that was immune to bank runs would basically not be a bank. They would be a lousy bank. They would be saying. That would be that. The only way to be immune to it is you give me as a bank. So I'm your bank. You're my depositor. You give me a hundred dollars. I turn around. I put the hundred dollars in my vault, and I say, "Okay, I'm done," and I never lend the hundred dollars. Right? Yeah. Would I be your money? One hundred percent is there when you come back and say, "Alex, do you have my hundred dollars?" I said, "Yes, I do. It's right here in the vault. I didn't do anything with it, and I give it back to you." That would be a lousy bank. A, I'm providing no capital. B, you at some point would sit there and say, "Well, wait a second. I get no return." from being at this bank. I could probably do something else with my money. So the issue is the moment a bank lends, that means that there is now a discrepancy between in cold hard cash, between what was put into the vault and what is in the vault at this precise moment. The moment that happens, the moment a bank does its basic function, it is susceptible to a run. It cannot actually handle everybody at the same time coming and asking for all their money. It's a wonderful life. But it's a wonderful life. And that's, that that's literally key, is what, happened that's in the what movie. happens in the movie. Yeah. Right? The key thing I would also mention, I, I probably overused this line, but the other key thing is when that happens, what does Jimmy Stewart say? He says, Mr. Potter is not selling, Mr. Potter's buying, because we're panicking and he's not. So the, the key is always that, you know, that's kind of that is Warren that Buffett greedy fear thing. Is right? that the theme? But I think it's just a reminder out there to exactly his point. In other words, it, a bank doesn't have to be doing anything wrong for it to be susceptible to a bank run. Right? It just has to be operating as a bank. Someone go to the Music Resource Center. Deep Throat, we were talking about this yesterday. You go to the Music Resource Center listing broker at Stoner and Princeloff. You go to the 310 312 um, East Main Street on the downtown mall, uh, listing brokers, Carolyn Shears, Bart McIntosh of Colliers. You go to the, uh, the North, Gra- North Garden, the Crossroads store, where, where Dr. Ho's Humble Pie is located. Oh, okay. Okay? You go to, what was the other building we talked about yesterday? Let me see if I can find it here. We go to, I'm, I'm highlighting a commercial real estate that's on the market here. You go to the... Uh, Fitzgerald Tire in Belmont. It's listed for a oh, million. Oh, yeah, yeah. North Gardens Crossroad Shops, 6.2 million lists. Music Resource, uh, Resource Center, the church, a million eight seven five. You got the building on the downtown mall, 2,750,000. And you say to all of them, I'll make an offer to you. It's 30% below your ask. Hmm. And I want a seller finance deal. These are my terms. A 10-year window, an interest rate, we'll call it, get, get aggressive, 7 or 8%. Hmm. 
seven or eight percent, no prepayment penalty. You're going to carry the paper if you want this transaction. And I would bet you half of those people respond to your 30, 35% off initial start. That's how, yeah. I don't want to use That's the it. word desperate, but concern, mm -hmm. because what breeds concern is tens of thousands of dollars a month in debt service and carrying well, costs. That's exactly what it is. That will get folks, if it happens months after months after months, ready to make mm -hmm. a deal. And that's how I got a large portion of the Macklin building. Today, Imanyana, Thursday at 10, 15 a.m. Alex Serpy, what you guys got on the dock? Got a couple, got a couple people coming in. So uh, Jill Trishman March, she's the executive director of the Botanical Garden of the Piedmont. Gonna be coming by. I just talked about that. Um, we got uh, Lee Hartman from Bluestone Vineyard. Oh, and then uh, Matthias Young gonna be coming back for our uh, our uh, monthly meetings with him, just talking about Charlottesville, what we got out there. I mean, it, it kind of fits in with the point where we see on today, Manian as well. Just so many of the small businesses that are out there doing things, and that that may be where we're seeing. That's who buys that executive spaces. That's who kind of makes the moves that's that that may be where we're kind of seeing things move and because people especially i think in this community as if indeed let's put it this way if indeed the federal reserve succeeds in crushing economic activity and driving things down i think this community is one that would say with the limited resources we have at our disposal how do we make sure that our fellow small businesses do well as opposed to the big chains. I love it. And I, I think that's what that's we will be seeing. Yep. That's what we'll be seeing. Alex Serpy hit a home run. Today, Imanyana, Thursdays, 10, 15 a.m. He's the CEO of Emergent Financial Services. It's a family-owned firm. Alex is the CEO. Xavier is the CIO. Nice. Nicholas is the CMO. And Michael is... We've got to think of three letters for him. We need a C-suite title for Michael. <laughs> we'll, right we'll have to think of those can three letters. Can he be letters. the CTO? Uh, we can do CRO, Chief Research Officer. That's CRO. Most of what he does. Michael, if you're watching, you, you need a C. You need three letters next to your name, <laughs> my friend. Michael, I love you. Love you too, Nicholas. Love you too, Xavier. Love you too, Alex. It's the RPs, guys. <laughs> Judah Wickhauer, we got our conference call in... Oh, it was supposed to be 20 seconds ago. This is the I Love Siegel show on a Tuesday afternoon. Judah, Jerry... Alex, thank you kindly for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 or 15 a.m. for Real Talk. So long, everybody. Excellent. Oh, that was a fun one. Yeah. Very, so very good. Ah, I missed it. Uh, we had uh, 